is my night to bring out the worst in them. I will find pleasure in their pain and make evil things happen. I am hell in a cell. Tonight, the world's strongest champion and the venomous viper tear each other apart. When I come back from hell, I'll be bringing the World Heavyweight Championship with me. Tonight, for the first time ever, a triple threat match will enter. Hell will be unleashed. I will stare Satan dead in the face, scream at the top of my lungs. Is that all you got? I am leaving with the WWE Championship. I'm bringing hell with me. It is my destiny to beat the hell out of you. And only one surviving soul will emerge as champion. Tonight, these mortal men must endure my torture to rise from the depths of hell. So if they haven't already, they better start praying. Then we get a moment where something appears to have been cut, but I don't yeah. know what it was. I reckon we should each have a guess as to what we think it was. Okay. I think it was Jack Swagger being further berated backstage by Ooh, Vicky Guerrero having lost the match. I reckon somebody had spliced in a dick, like in Fight Club, <laughs> in the actual main thing, and they had to cut it out. I reckon this is Mark Emery having his pre-match shit. That's what I reckon. <laughs> Yeah, they, but why would they? Why would? Why would they have cut that out though? That would have been prime entertainment. Well, do you know, I think about this every now and again. Can you imagine how awful? Not just not just wrestlers, but like bodybuilders, people who eat a lot of protein. Imagine how awful their shits must be. Imagine the actual absolute punishment that every arena goes through in those backstage bits. <laughs> before, you know, during a wrestling event, it must be absolutely horrendous. It must be like that toilet in Amsterdam. That oh, when we went yes. away from my my stag and that uh, that toilet upstairs in the just above the bar area that got an absolute brutal punishing up there. That's what these toilets in, in a WWE changing room must be like. Do you know who I reckon does the worst shits in all of wrestling? Ryback. Don't know why. He just looks like he absolutely bashes a toilet every time he every time he uses one. I bet him and John Cena the minute that something has exited their anus, they're having a protein shake. Oh, John Cena's must be awful as well. Yeah. That's why he always carries around that little towel. <laughs> the old emergency towel. He sweat. just holds it up. Yeah. And he's like, oh, there's some shit on there, John. No, no, he's, he's doing it because he gets himself in such a state. He's got to use it as a sweat rag while he's on the bog. He's in a you, mess. You, you can <laughs> seize me. Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and this week we are going straight to hell. 
in a Cell and WWE's 2011 edition of the annual gimmick match themed pay-per-view. Joining me today is someone that regularly finds himself locked inside a cell, though usually it's a personal choice and the only thing hellish about it is the price. It's old man Sam Carey. Uh, to be fair, mate, I don't always pay. Sometimes I just choke myself like David Carradine in a cupboard in Thailand. Lovely old job. <laughs> I was going to say, except you've never been to Thailand, so you just buy a load of Thai food and rub it over yourself before you do it. To the... <laughs> just pouring coconut milk through my beard. <laughs> and the other voice that you will have heard there is Tom Smith, who, when faced with the prospect of a show from 2011, realised that his safe word had been well and truly forgotten by everyone else, and he'd have to endure the pain brought on by such a recent WWE event. Tom, how are you? Yeah, not bad. It was it was a little bit like uh, when I saw the this on the on the episode schedule, my testicles went back up inside me a little bit with with fear. But what I will say is that something really bad happened to me, boys, when I started trying to watch the show. <laughs> I uh, started watching Elimination Chamber 2011 by accident, and uh, I watched the first hour of that. And then I spoke to Old Man about a day after, and he said talked about Hell in a Cell, and I was like, No, mate, you've got it wrong. It's the Elimination Chamber, and he was like. No, it's not. It's Hell in a Cell. Like, Fuck. I wonder why they were talking about the road to WrestleMania so much. <laughs> yes, indeed. And and you'll be really glad to know, Tom, that I've, as today when we're recording this, WWE have actually announced when the Royal Rumble next year is going to be. So I've been able to start scheduling next year's episodes. And I've already chucked in Elimination Chamber 2011 so that your hard work doesn't go to waste. You oh, beautiful. I, can, I, can, I wonder if I'll be able to remember what happens in the Alberto <laughs> Del Rio versus Kofi Kingston match at the beginning when we cover that next February. Big Shield have watched it twice. You go so in-depth on it. We're like... Fucking hell, what's he on about? Yeah. He's been, he's oh. been talking about this for 25 minutes. He's got right, a shirt off and everything. And, yeah, and then Del Rio does an Irish whip to which Kofi reverses, flips, <laughs> throws for the trouble in paradise. <laughs> it doesn't narrate the entire match. <laughs> I look forward to that. Now, before we get our knickers in a twist over today's featured wrestling show, now is a good time for me to push you in the direction of RWR Pod UK, where we bring you the latest goings on at RWR Towers on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And also to get us started today, listeners, a small apology. You see, on last week's show, about 30 minutes in, Tom Smith promised an answer to the question, the question on everybody's mind, which was, of course, who is the worst wrestler? Omos or Ricky Steamboat. And for some reason, we forgot to get it. You promised an answer at the end of the show, and it was never given. So, Tom, I'm putting you on the spot right now. Who is the worst wrestler, Omos or Ricky Steamboat? It's tough, as, as it was last week. With all biases aside, Omos is better than Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> and I think that goes without saying, and I don't need to explain my reasons why. <laughs> is it because he brought his child to work? Is that still the issue? Well, I'll tell you what, the second Omos does that, then we can have this conversation again, can't we? I guess so. Kind of AJ Styles is probably small enough to be his child, isn't he? <laughs> so with that in mind, with that new fresh new twist on the on the character, I'm going to say Ricky Steamboat's better. Oh bloody hell! I mean, to be fair, you've got around that quite lovely, lovely because even as a joke, saying that Omos is better than Ricky Steamboat is <laughs> is really pushing the boundaries to taste some decency. Uh, but that's a what Tom bit. does every single week, so you're fine. Exactly. It's a little bit like when old man wears very short shorts. Oh, lovely. A, lo- a lovely little show of bollock. <laughs> Gaffer tape hanging out the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so- sorry, that's still on there from last night. <laughs> <laughs> Sting. <laughs> Where's he come from? <laughs> <laughs> be horrible, wouldn't it? That would be absolutely disgusting. 
getting some gaffer tape, but like genuinely on your bollocks and having a tear it off walking down the street. Yeah, I've been struggling with this visual the whole time. I'm not really sure why it's taking you so long to get there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, horrible. Anyway. So let's talk about Hell in a Cell 2011, shall we? And first of all, our expectations going in, our thoughts and hopes for what we were going to see. Old man, let's start with you. Well, as always with the 2010s, no idea what's going on, but I know Cena's going to be on top. And whether that be champ or in the main event. And I can't remember if this is big match John Fees or just I'm going to win every match John Fees. I would be lying if I said that I was looking forward to it. There's a little bit in the opening video that gets me going a little bit. But in the pantheon of excitement for shows that we've watched, this was quite low, I'd say. Okay, Tom? <laughs> I think you sound so sad. Yeah, okay. Um, Similar, to be perfectly honest. Um, oh, anything well, after oh, anything, any, any, anything after the rest, last WrestleMania we went to, I've got very little interest in, with the exception of a few little fleeting things, such as Daniel Bryan's run to the title at WrestleMania 30, a few Shield, a few a few CM Punk things, you know what I mean? But nothing, nothing much really. Am I, am I interested in that? Um, that being said, I was amused by the, uh, the poster on the WWE network. Cause we said before that Ted DiBiase looks a bit like a lion. They've done their very best to make John Cena look as lion as they can possibly do on this, on this poster. Yeah. So that, that already cheered me up a little bit going into it. I did, as I said, like old man said, didn't know what was going on on this pay-per-view. I thought no idea what was happening at this time in 2011. Um, so, but when I watched the, uh, opening kind of vignette, if you will, I was a bit like, Oh, 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 oh all right. Maybe I can get behind this. I think the, uh, knowing that, uh, Mark Henry is in a title match, match and, and is the champion, is always is always going to put a smile on my face. I like the fact that in the opening video, the it's narrated by the cell, yes. <laughs> which was yeah. very strange, but I quite enjoyed it. I yeah. am hell. Hey, and it's just, and it's what I love about it is it's just a normal WWE voiceover guy just putting on a slightly weirder voice. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it. He's a he's a character actor that guy. I mean, you can't you can't argue with it. How, how many people do you know can pull off playing a, a giant's cage? <laughs> Not many, that's for certain. Uh, yeah, I, I was looking forward to this. I don't really know why, though, because I, I equally had very little idea of what was going to happen. Although, of course, I did know that we're literally two, three, four months after Money in the Bank 2011, which is obviously CM Punk's coming out moment. Sorry, the voiceover guy for WWE is Carlos Cabrera, the Spanish announcer. No. That's what it says? No. That's not him. It's not right. When you say that's what it says, what does that's what what says? Um, This website that says thingsthatarenttrue.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't think that was right. No, it's in, it's in his, cause he because he is on every single thing they do. Apparently, that's why. It's, it's the hardest working guy. But that's not... Oh, somebody got a guy called Ed Weigel. Better. There we go. That's better. Often, God, conf- often confused with Carlos Cabrera. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they sound similar. Similar languages. Well, the trouble is, is Ed Weigel will be listening to this. He'll be like, again, every <laughs> fucking time they think I'm Carlos Cabrera. Yes. Uh, so it was only a couple of months or you know, three, four months after Money in the Bank. So that was kind of in my mind as this is the period where CM Punk was at his hottest uh, in WWE, at least you, just, you suggest. And so I thought that was a that was something I was looking forward to. But as I said, didn't have any clue what else was going on. And I think actually what I've realized is those are the shows I most look forward to because it's like a whole big mystery box. And you can and you just start and you're like, oh, didn't expect this or, oh, no, not so great about that. But even if you know, even if you have a, a match that comes 
out of the curtain and you're like oh i don't fancy this you know that there's something else coming afterwards and you don't know what it is so um yeah. i always quite quite look forward to them so the, as you said the show begins with uh, the promo voiced from the viewpoint of the cell itself and then we have Michael Cole, Jim Ross and Booker T as our commentary team. And already old man's pulling some old faces here. What did you think of these guys, old man? I have vague recollections of these three working together and I can remember it being quite bad. To be honest, anything with Booker T, I'm kind of a bit like, uh, but then JR is there and he kind of, but I also did think that we had um, heal Michael Cole. And I was a bit concerned we were going to get more of that. Yes. But you know what? Most of them are shit. So <laughs> that's true. Most of them are shit. I was just really happy because the commentary team for <laughs> for Elimination Chamber 2011 is Hill, Michael Cole, and Josh Matthews. So I was just <laughs> thankful that it wasn't that. <laughs> so Hang everything on. everything is is tinged with a slight layer of positivity yeah. because it's not Elimination Chamber 2011. Well, so don't give got... away our don't give our one of our episodes away from February next year, mate. So uh, you know, not too much of that. That's it. F- five months until that treat. <laughs> that'll keep them in that'll keep them tuned in till then no doubt about it yeah so for me this, this i gotta be honest whilst i i can't remember for certain and there isn't anything i can specifically pick out i thought this was the worst commentary team we've had so far <laughs> i genuinely thought this was absolutely terrible all the way through michael Cole is full on hill which i mm. hate jim ross is almost is almost playing the color commentator. We've had this one or two times in the past, mm-hmm. I think, where he's kind of trying to be a little bit more subversive than usual, which is weird. And then Booker T is almost the baby face, but I mean he's just terrible. So between them, this is horrific. No one yes. knows their roles, do they? No one knows their roles. Michael Cole is kind of doing the play by play, but is doing it in with heel mannerisms, as you said. I was thinking about this a lot when I was watching the commentary and what, what I can't stand is I think WWE have got this thing where they like there to be some kind of tension between the commentators. So mm. that's why they always have these stupid, stupid like arguments. I can remember us saying when we covered NXT Fatal 4-Way, there's just all these forced arguments between Byron Saxton and Rene Young and, and Tom Phillips. And it happens again on here. But the only the other added thing you've got here is that as Michael Cole and JR are on commentary, Michael Cole is evidently being fed quite mean, nasty lines mm-hmm. to say about Jim Ross as well. And there's a period during the second match on the card where you can tell that Jim Ross actually genuinely gets quite annoyed and hurt mm-hmm. by it. And it is just a mess throughout the entire throughout the entire show. And I also hate the fact that Booker T keep every after every sentence, dog. That's that's what I'm saying. He's just done that match, dog. That's what I'm saying, dog. Let's fuck off. <laughs> fuck off, DMX. Just get off the commentary booth. And he always goes, if you know what I'm saying. No, I don't. And if you keep saying, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I'm lost, Booker. Like Tommy said, JR, I think this is probably the most I've ever heard him hate being on a wrestling show ever. <laughs> like, he sounds so fed up. So uh, we'll, we'll get into it when it kicks into overdrive towards the end of the show but my word my much of a lovely time you must be having in AEW at the moment not not getting produced which does lead to some mixed results i think but he's just there it's so nice that there's there's no one calling me a fat hillbilly all the time in the micro in the in the airpiece (laughs) it's not great and it it feels like jim ross is there because michael cole's a baby is a heel and so they kind of feel like they need another guy who can play the baby face but who is not the play-by-play um Mm -hmm. announcer and it as you, to your point in the second match, which we'll get to, they just don't talk about 
the match because they're too busy arguing. Michael Cole in particular mm. arguing with Booker T and then Jim Ross occasionally saying, guys, should we should we talk about the match? And mm. them ignoring him because Michael Cole evidently has been told you're the heel. You have to you know, you have to be really kind of um, argumentative. But it means that the play by play commentator is not doing any of the play by play. So mm. it's, it's yeah, it's really doesn't work at all for me. We then get a pre-match video of Christian attacking Sheamus on SmackDown. This is one of a number of attacks, apparently, according to the announcers. And then the Miz and R-Truth appear in the crowd. They have yeah. tickets and uh, the the camera goes over to the Miz and R-Truth who have their tickets and are showing them to everybody. They refuse to leave originally when uh, John Laronitis arrives on the scene, but then they eventually are made to leave apparently we're told that they have recently been fired by triple h and that's why they bought their tickets and are stood uh, sat in the crowd i tell you what i did one thing i thought about this i thought i bet you that's the last time that we hear triple h in this pay-per-view i thought to myself it's <laughs> gonna be nice <laughs> one thing i will say about this i'm glad they got there early because it really annoys me when they turn up like halfway through a bit yeah <laughs> you're like come on that's not that's not believable that's just a waste of money or you got here late maybe you had a couple couple too many in the bar before you got here um, but at least they got there on time. Um, and I love the uh, the old showing my ticket, just holding it out. So much yeah. so, I think the next time I go to any ticketed event, I'm just going to be doing that to anyone, <laughs> anyone who can see me. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, unfortunately, you do it outside the event, get your ticket swiped, and then you can't go. Yeah. Um, This is awful. <laughs> this is awful, because I know this is going to be a running theme through the show. The Miz and our truth, and obviously it's setting up eventually for Survivor Series. The Miz and R-Truth have been fired. Now, I'm watching this with 2021 eyes, better than 2020 eyes. And uh, R-Truth's been a joke for probably nine and a half years. What are they doing? And they've also got seats not next to each other, but one in front of the other. So it's like they're riding the bus, which I liked. <laughs> and also, they could have sat anywhere by the looks of it, because I think it's only about half full from my Wikipedia research. And also, why would you get tickets right near the front? If yeah. you're trying to go in and be incognito, because I'm assuming they're there because they want to watch some wrestling, it'd have been better if they went if they zoomed in on, on them halfway through the show and they were just there somewhere in the crowd rather than at the front. That'd have been a nice touch. Because then they could have gone yeah. there a little bit later. So that mean, means that they could have had a no, cheeky tug backstage or something like that before they came out rather than have to get out there at the beginning of the show. Or a tug. <laughs> The, the pleasure that old man got out of that when you said they could have a nice time. Went, oh, lovely. And his face just looks so joyous. Uh, like, oh, I, I wish I had done that myself before I came uh, on here. Our uh, tug and the jizz. I'm going to reserve judgment on this. I didn't. I'm not going to be negative about it at this point. And I wasn't when I when I when they first came out. I was like, oh, this is a little little bit extra. Quite like this because Christian had come down for the opener by this point already. So this was kind of before we even got into the opening match. Something else was going on. And, you know, I just liked it. I liked a little bit of yeah. intrigue about what was going to happen there. So then we have Sheamus come out for the first match. Sheamus versus Christian. A match that lasts for just under 14 minutes and ends when Sheamus hits a bro kick and gets the pin. Tom, your thoughts on this match? Listen, these are two guys that are destined to be mid-card journeymen, for lack of a better word, forever, who every now and again, and not in this instance, but every now and again, one of them is going to get a push up, a little main event, feud with someone, and then go back down. And that is it. That's their And to be fair, that's an absolutely fine career to have. Doesn't mean that I want to see a 13-minute match with them at the beginning of a pay-per-view. The match in itself is fine, but there's no... There's nothing really to it. I didn't I didn't really get in on it. I must admit, I was 
kind of looking after my crying baby at the time, so I wasn't giving it my full attention. But what I will say is this. Seamus, as I've said many times in the past, looks cold. <laughs> and the kill switch, or the unprettier, is the most stupid move in all of wrestling. And just by the fact that that move is a finisher in this match, which admittedly doesn't happen because Seamus wins, annoys me. And it gets my back up before I go into a match. So I always go into a Christian match with a little bit of cynicism towards it. Matching itself is fine, but there wasn't anything particularly that stood out to me in it. It just happened, which I think is going to happen when you have these two in a ring together. I thought this was right, to be honest. I think they give each other a good old kick in. And I do like it when there's a match that, let's be honest, means bugger all. They beat the tar into each other. Because I think at least it adds a little bit of importance. Christian's got his little fluffy teenage hair, which I completely forgot about, which I enjoyed. I, I was very confused because of what happened with the Jizz and our tug. Um, who was the face in the hill? Because I couldn't really gauge Christian's reaction or lack thereof, to be honest. But eventually you find out that it's Christian. And he does a decent old job, I think. Booker T states that if Christian loses tonight, it could be all over for him. I don't In know what, what it means. Career? I don't life? know. What? Well, I mean, he, lo- he lost, but he was all right. <laughs> um, a little note on Seamus that Tommy uh, points out. So the Great White was a really crap nickname for him. Just a really, <laughs> really, really, really crap nickname. And I did note that this could be a match from any time from this period to now because he's got the exact same move set. So he's got the flying shoulder tackle from the top rope, the Irish Coast backbreaker, the bro kick, and the 10 bell ends of the bell free. He does all of them in this match. And I was just like, oh, Seamus just makes it up a little bit. Because when he does, we had a conversation away from this about the match that he had with Damian Priest at WrestleMania. No, um, not Damian Priest. Who did he have a bloody match with the WrestleMania? Can't remember now, mate. Was it Drew McIntyre? Could be anyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was good. And he did have a very good match with uh, Damian Priest. Riddle was who he fought. Riddle, that was it. Yeah. He kind of mixed it up. They they had a good time. Christian's great. I always like Christian. I've heard, a bit like Tommy said, he was always just going to be... I enjoyed his little main event run that he had. And I feel after that, he was just kind of treading water again. But uh, JR does know... This is the first time that I noticed that JR was a little bit edgy or aggy. Because uh, Michael Cole says that Christian has been punished by Triple H for... Don't know why. But he's been punished by being put in main event matches against people. And JR says, oh, so he's been punished by putting in the main event, the money matches. And I thought that's a lovely, lovely bit of commentary. Like I said, in ring, it's decent enough. Good old kick in, bit of beating up. I'll take it. I'll take one of these on every show that we do and I'll enjoy them. Like, yeah. yeah, they just, like I said, beat the shit into each other. Fair enough, old man. Uh, I'm telling you what, I won't take one of these matches on every show we watch. <laughs> I don't care about Seamus versus Christian. I just, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, what analogy can I come up with? And to be honest, I couldn't think of a good one. So I went with one that probably only Tom will understand, which is that you remember when we had all of the figures, all the wrestling figures, the Hasbro yeah. figures, right? And you know, the big boss man f- uh, figure that had two arms out in front of it. Mm-hmm. It was the wrong scale compared to everything else. It was mm-hmm. a little bit smaller than it should have been. And the arms and legs weren't the same kind of proportional length as all the other figures. It was like when I had a match between that figure and maybe, I don't know, the Bret Hart figure, 
It just didn't feel right because they're just different scales and it didn't make sense. That's how I felt when I was watching this mm. match. It's like Shay Christian's like a small version of Sheamus and they're, and they're just, I don't know. I just don't have any interest in it. And there's two other things that thought made me think about this. I couldn't concentrate on the match because whenever I see Christian these days, all I do is spend my time thinking, why does Vince McMahon think he's so ugly? <laughs> like I just I just look I'm trying to get glimpses of face to find out like has he got a really like hideously disproportionate ears or something I, I can't see it I don't know what the problem is um and I also then got to thinking was he right about Christian because obviously there's lots of fans who think Christian should have been a main eventer for a long time and I was like but I don't want to I don't really care about this match I don't really care about Christian maybe I don't really want him to be a main event guy and maybe Vince was right I don't know I, I'm I'm inclined to agree, if I'm being honest. He's he's too similar to Edge, but not as good as Edge. You can only pick one, in my opinion, and that's where you got to go. Uh, my analogy for this, I was thinking about this, and I, I applied it to the overall card, but I'm going to specifically apply it to this match. So like having your having your Christmas dinner at Weatherspoons, it's still a Christmas dinner, and it will probably do a job. But ultimately, you're going to be disappointed by it. And you're still giving your money to that dickhead who uh, owns it. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? I fucking... Here's my Keegan moment. I fucking love all this shit about lorry drivers and, and a lack of petrol at the moment. That's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. That's what we get for the hubris of this country. Anyway. There we go. Bre- Brexit podcast starts. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's taken us 30, uh, 39 episodes to get there, but we finally did it. Yeah, finally addressed so, it. So my analogy would be that this is like a pair of boxes that are probably a little bit worn, so they're not as comfortable as they could be, but they're passable. And you'll wear them any day you want, as long as you know one day a week you're going to get to wear a nice, lovely, comfortable pair of boxes, and your bollocks ain't going to fall out with gaff tape hanging off them. If we're using that analogy, then I'm putting these to the back of the drawer and only using them in emergencies. <laughs> it's... It's like it's like trying to force out a tug when you're hungover. You're doing it because you just want to trick yourself into feeling better. But you know afterwards you're going to feel even worse. And you're going to have the shame that accompanies it. I'll be honest, that's excellent. Because that's pretty accurate, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I just wasn't interested. It was, you know, as you said, oh, man, it was fine. What they did was fine. I just don't care. It's Christian Seamus. And I don't certainly don't care enough for them to go at it for nearly 14 damn minutes. I think... I was anticipating some horrendous stuff coming, and I'm not talking about that hungover tug. <laughs> no, I think I was like, you know what, I'll take this because this is safe ground. It's not exciting. It's not, if I was there, I'd have been sat on my hands, probably with a finger on my ass, and just been like, you know what, this is all right, I'll take this because something better might be coming. But I was also scared 2011 WWE. I knew what the highlight of this show was going to be Mark Emery. <laughs> Don't worry, old man. It's not 2021 WWE, so you should be all right. Um, uh, next up, Matt Stryker interviews that man you were talking about. All right, he does. Western Supermare's finest, Mark Henry. Henry tells Stryker to shut up, which is basically <laughs> yes, nearly yes. turned him babyface right there. But yeah. to be honest, um, he says he doesn't care where he faces Randy Orton. Randy Orton is going to join the Hall of Pain, which is the is the name of the arcade at the end of the pier. I believe. <laughs> yes, absolutely, yeah, totally. Yeah. He also does a great impression, a great crap impression of Matt Stryker. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my camera. I just wish he'd World Strongest Slammed him, to be honest. So, would it be the Western Super Slam? Yes. 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 You couldn't do that because he definitely would have turned babyface if he'd have done that. Yes, he would have. Go on, Mark Henry. The goat. <laughs> Next up 
our second match is a very interesting one. It's Sinkara against Sinkara, with the commentators trying to come up with names to differentiate the two of them as the match went on. <laughs> it lasts just under 10 minutes and ends when I've called him Sinkara 1. It's a sunset flip powerbomb for the win. There are other names you could have called them, though, and specifically Wikipedia have um, listed them as Sinkara Azul and Sinkara Negro. But um, one and two will do. Blue and black will do. Whatever you want. Yeah, it's easy, isn't it? <laughs> now, this this was one of those where when Sinkara's music here, I was like, oh, they're going to have the stupid lighting, which I, I don't like. They did it the other year in Hell in a Cell, and I bloody hated it. And then other Sinkara comes out, and I was just like, oh, oh bloody hell. Um, but I did enjoy that. So Sinkara's got music that sounds like it's from Avatar, the James Cameron film. Sinkara 2 has the more sinister Avatar music, which is probably when the machines are like trying to knock down the forest and that. And Giovanni Rabisi's going absolutely nuts. You've got thing, far, far greater knowledge of Avatar than I yeah. It's either that or I talk about this. So I've oh, never seen it. No, it's, it's all right. Um, no. Is this, um, is, this uh, is it better or worse than this match? Uh, it's significantly better and it's about 18 times as long. I just, I don't get it. I just couldn't get my head around it. I don't know why there's two Sinkaras. I don't know why. I don't know what they're. This is where I properly like. A bit like you were thinking about the first match, thinking. I was thinking about this. I was like, who's getting anything from this? Sinkara one wins. Sinkara one wins. Sinkara two wins. Sinkara two wins. <laughs> You've stopped making sense, old man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In fairness, you've stopped making sense because you're talking about this match, which, as you said, doesn't make any sense. No. I think the thing, the thing that really confuses me about this is that Sincara Azul wins and Sincara Negro, therefore, in theory, they, they they get the impression that he'd have to become something else or do something else. But I was looking at it and I was like, I'm pretty sure that Sincara Negro is the Sincara who is Sincara later. Yes, yes. Who can't do the Lucha Underground chant, the uh, Lucha, the Lucha Dragon chants properly? <laughs> That's right. So, so he loses the match, but then goes. I know it's K, you know, so you got to believe in kayfabe and stuff. But I was like, because he's he's notably bigger than than him, yeah. and I can remember. And I was like, this is just weird. Like, what what a strange concept. Yeah, it's just really weird. And they don't say why there are two no. Sinkara. They, they they did mention at some point that the second Sinkara came out and told the first Sinkara that he had stolen his identity previously, and so now he was stealing his identity back. Ah, the old identity still. That's the one. Classic, classic stuff. In fairness, so, it's a big it's a big problem in today's society. Yeah, maybe they had some foresight. So obviously, the reason they're fighting each other is because they don't have anyone else who can fight with anyone who does what Sinkara 1 or Sinkara 2 do on there the roster. Go. There you go. And this you time. just happened upon it, I think, old man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sinkara 2 has a, there's a little near fall, and he has his face in Sinkara 1's groin for an uncomfortably long time. Yeah, he just falls yeah. into it. It's like he's eating him out, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a little bit like, you need to get that cock and balls out of your mouth, but you've got a bloody match to have. You're supposed to have heat, not meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, they try their best, God love them, but this is very dull. There is... No feud to speak of. I don't care. There is no intensity at all. They are literally choreographing move to move to move to move. And they can't really get that right either. They're, they're clunky. They're mistimed. The finishing little sequence is actually all right. Just don't do anything for me. And I don't, I don't think the lighting helps anyone in this situation. 
Because can you imagine, you're wearing a mask, then they're like, so going to go out and have a little match in a lit arena. Oh, cool. Oh, no, we're going to turn the lights down. Oh, I'll make them a different colour. Oh, cool. And then you're going to have to steal this flippy shit. But you're not very good at it. <laughs> Fuck off. Sing, Cara. Shit, Cara. I, uh, yeah, I can't really say much more. It wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a great match. Um, the, you, you you hit the nail on the head, old man. We said it's like quite sloppy, and, and there's either botched moves or almost botched moves in this match. And it made me think to myself, Sin Cara as all, or you know, the first Sin Cara is the person they were kind of grooming to be the long-term replacement for Rey Mysterio. <laughs> Good luck. And it kind of gave you a greater appreciation of how good Rey Mysterio is. Because Rey Mysterio is able to translate his lucha stylings and be able to tailor the way that he wrestles to a WWE style with and still maintaining some of the his lucha background, which these two are clearly not capable of doing. And the, commentate, the commentary on this is awful. And it's in this one where um, Michael Cole is like, hey, JR, say Sin Cara Azul in your stupid, thick hillbilly accent. And he's like, yeah. Sin Cara Azul. And he's like, ha ha. And he's like, and then later on, he's like, what did you think of that, JR? And he just goes, fine. <laughs> it's really not happy, poor cunt. Like on commentary. And it's just, it was just awful. They, they're just talking shit. And, and bless Booker T, he's trying his best to keep up with the action. But you don't know what he's on about. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just rubbish. It's just a gritty, stupid crap match with some crap commentary in some crap lighting. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, as they as they say on commentary, Sin Cara means faceless. So mm. um, that led me to decide to look up what Irene Cara meant in Spanish. Just means Irene face. So not <laughs> not as uh, not as good. Irene Cara, of course, was the flash dance um, singer and actress. <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <laughs> <laughs> That's how good this match was. Yep. Now, well, during it, yeah. the professional of the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> Irene face. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well done, Tinky. That's why he's the host with the roast. <laughs> so you, you said about what this does for anybody. So I think the original intention here is for them to, as you said, old man, no one else seems to be able to wrestle um, Sin Cara style. Actually, the truth is Sin Cara has been fucking dreadful to this point and has botched literally every, something every single match. They've run out of patience with him almost, but they've given him one more chance. And that is they brought someone in specially to fight him. So that <laughs> and, he, then, and then replace him. Who, who, well, they brought someone specially to fight him who he knows, obviously, from his past. They've had matches in Mexico, I'm assuming. And then they've had this match, which is his big you know, coming out victory, going to get some, you know, head of steam up. He's going to go forward. And they botched literally everything in this match as well. It is pathetic. It's a terrible match. I don't, I, I, to your point, old man, I think you're absolutely right. I think the lighting does them no favors at all. Plus it just makes it look like there's no one there. And because yeah. they're really quiet whilst watching it, it really makes it look like they're just in front of no crowd whatsoever. So I, yeah, I think that the lighting isn't particularly good and it, I don't like it either. It just doesn't do anything for me. I don't think it, it makes it look more interesting. It just makes it darker. So yeah, not a good match, not a good um, time for Sin Cara. As I said, it, it was a little bit embarrassing in places, to be honest, not only are the crowd not interested, but the commentators aren't interested either. And then, as I said, they mess up practically every spot that they're trying to do in the midst of it. And so, yeah, um, best forgotten for everyone. And as yeah. we said, Sin Cara 2 then basically takes his place because, as I said, I think this is probably his last chance and he blew it. Yeah. So next up, um, we have CM Punk backstage repairing for his match. Now, I've got to be honest, 
the sound quality wasn't great on this promo, I didn't think, and it led me to not get a lot of what was going on. So this is what I did get from it, is that David Otunga walks in, says that he's representing the superstars of WWE. Um, Punk says he will win the title tonight and hates lawyers, um, because apparently Otunga's a lawyer and representing all these wrestlers. And then he mocks Otunga's bow tie and sweater. That's what I got from it. Didn't really understand why it was here or what David Otunga was trying to do, but there we go. Anybody else? Nope, not a clue. No, I had Punk and Otunga with some weird law stuff that doesn't make any sense at all. That's my notes. Do not have a clue? Mm. There's, I'm getting the impression from the show with the R-Truth and Miz thing and with this, that there's, there's a broader storyline going on that feeds into mm. what we've been seeing on television, but we're not party to it because obviously we haven't watched those yeah. shows. And in some ways, I quite admire that because I like the idea of it being episodic and you're kind of getting mm. little bits and pieces from it. But I could have just done... I always think the commentator should just be filling in a little bit on these things because very few people are watching every bloody show. Like there are very few people watching every show, even in real time. So just just give us a little bit more context and that would uh, that would help us out. Then there is a little promo for the Black Veil Brides Set the World on Fire, which is the official theme of Hell in a Cell. Be remiss for me not to mention it. Seeing as it probably will feature in the opening of this show as well when we when I play the opening of the of the pay-per-view. So, you know, just to ward away any trademark violations that we might uh, have. That is followed by the tag team title match, which features Air Boom against Dolph Ziggler and Jack Swagger. Uh, it's a ten and a half minute. What's he, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm being Evan Bourne. I'm just I'm doing my doing my peace signs and doing a really fake smile. Oh, and they've got the worst music I've ever heard. So, yeah, Airboom against Dolph Ziggler and Jack Swagger is a match that goes just under 11 minutes. And this one uh, ends when Swagger goes for a powerbomb off the top turnbuckle, but Bourne reverses it into a runner and pins Swagger while Kofi holds Ziggler's leg to stop him from breaking up the pin. Old man, your thoughts on this one? We start off hot with Evan Bourne and Kofi Kingston's awful music, which is a mashup of what is actually some quite heavy guitar intro to Evan Bourne's music. And then it goes into SOS. SOS. And then you get uh, Guerrero being amazing. Vicky Guerrero just coming out, just saying, excuse me. I knew already. And I'll be honest, like Evan Bourne's fine. Quite like Kofi Kingston. Don't get Jack Swagger. I don't hate Dolph Ziggler. I knew this was going to be the uh, the highlight of the match. Was Guerrero coming out and going, excuse me. <laughs> ah, what a legend. But then it happens. Jack Swagger does this little weird Jan Argafjortoft airplane run around the ring <laughs> <laughs> before the match. And I'm like, you're supposed to be a heel and a fucking badass guy. Why are you running around pretending that you're playing for Swindon in 1993? You've embarrassed yourself. Uh, the main notes that I have from this match are Michael Cole's commentary, talking about Triple H's leadership. And as you raised, Tinky, in the last match, the commentators are not talking at all about this, what's going on in the ring. And if they don't care, why should we give them money? This is for the titles as well. The thing is as well, it's not actually a bad little match. It's not great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's going to make it onto Tinky's list, but uh, <laughs> it's fine for what it is. It's like, it's a perfectly passable tag match that you would never watch again. This is a sock with a hole in it, if we're keeping up the underwear analogies. 
Um, what did confuse me is that poor old Swagrams is just a buffoon throughout. He keeps missing moves. He gets pinned by a can't do a power ball off the top rope for the finish. He's just a little bit, uh, I don't know, he's kind of like a figure of fun. And I felt bad for him. And I thought, actually, he is quite crap. So this is probably a safe space for him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's there's, the it one, there's the one word review. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm starting to kind of settle into a similar theme with these matches, boys. I don't know about you. Like, Evan Bourne, good, good in the ring, but never given a reason to care for him in, in WWE. Kofi Kingston, always good in the ring, but like, is he had, didn't have any character at this point, over the fact that he may or may not have been Jamaican. I don't know if he lost his accent by this point, but that was it. <laughs> Dolph Ziggler, we know my opinion on Dolph Ziggler, <laughs> and Jack Swagger again is equally as is, is meh. It's it's a it's a plate of uh, do you know what this is? This is grits. Has anybody ever had grits in no, America? I haven't. I haven't it's like it. porridge but salty. It's just oh. bland, doesn't taste of anything. Just why? why? I, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's just. It, I just don't give a fuck about this match, and <laughs> and I got no reason to. The commentators don't even try and make you nah. like to old man's point. The commentators don't even try and make you care about it. They don't do anything to sell the importance of the tag team titles. I mean, like you said, old man, like Vicky Guerrero is brilliant. Beginning the heat on her is absolutely phenomenal. But it's just like I'm watching this match and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've got a child screaming in my face, and I'm enjoying that more because at least something's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I got a baby, baby Shinsky yelling at me, and I'm like, do you know what? I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to hold her in a way that makes her comfortable, and that, whilst occasionally frustrating at times, is is at least something. <laughs> Which this match just isn't. I just want something to happen, and nothing happens the entire match. It's just bland. It's grits. When I wanted some nice, lovely porridge, that's what it is. Yeah, my thoughts on this is exactly the same as you. I couldn't give a damn. The fans couldn't give a damn. They were silent throughout. The commentators couldn't give a damn. In fact, it seems like the booking team couldn't really give a damn either because evidently, because Vicky Guerrero opens up her thing by saying that her new client... (laughs) (laughs) Her new client is Jack Swagger. And so presumably, this is the first time this team have ever tagged together and presumably there's no reason for it to happen. They shouldn't even be getting a tag title shot if they've never teamed together. And so you're like, goodness, no one even gives a fuck about the titles, do they? They just don't care. This is just pointless. It's just filler. And, you know, as you said, it was perfectly reasonable, but it just, there was nothing to care about. It was so without dissing the flavour again and going into that particular conversation it's so vanilla it's so like ugh, what's the point just to sort of put the cherry on top afterwards old jack swagger that figure of fun as you were talking about earlier on gets then completely uh berated by vicky Guerrero <laughs> yeah. for losing the match i don't know how much longer the uh, relationship between the two in terms of her being his manager continued but uh, i don't imagine it was for very long no, and uh, like the commentary team were like, "Well, that's what you get when you when you're managed by Vicky Guerrero." Don't be fucking managed by then. It sounds horrible. That's it. So next up is a video package that shows Mark Henry and the Hall of Pain as Henry puts Lawler through a table. Fucking Orton, twat. Orton asks what can stop Mark Henry and says the answer is the RKO. There is footage shown from Night of Champions two weeks before when Henry wins the world title for the first time after 15 years in the business. Henry says that he will end Orton's career in Hell in a Cell. So, first of all, I think we all owe Mark Omri a debt of gratitude for ensuring that Jerry Lawler is not on the commentary. 
Yes. So I think you know I think we need to we need to give him one for that. Well, um, well, I'm not so sure because this commentary team is so shit. Maybe Jared Orr <laughs> would have enhanced it. Could you? No, it wouldn't have been. It would have been worse. It would have been so much worse. He might have replaced Booker T. I still don't know if it would have been any better. To be Maybe honest. Maybe not. Maybe not. Promo is good. It, they really do a good job at building Mark Henry up. Who, who, up until kind of this point in his career, had always been like a mid card guy. And when they, I remember when they did the Hall of Pain thing, I wasn't really watching properly, but I can remember being like, "Hey, Mark mm. Henry's the champion. This is madness." Um, having not watched it and having watched it this this match and having watched you know this this pretty much build up, I was like, "Do you know what? I buy it." Yeah, there was a couple of years there where Mark Henry really got it. Like it's almost like he'd taken forever to get it. He'd taken forever to know what he was supposed to do. And in fairness to him. He was put in the ring for the first time, I think, like a month after he'd been signed by WWF yeah. or something stupid. Mm. And so I had no no clue what he was doing. He was super green. I mean, basically, they just took a random guy. I know that he was a, uh, um, a weightlifter, but they took a guy random in terms of his wrestling ability. They had no idea whether he had mm. any aptitude for it whatsoever. And, you know, it took, they did a two or three years of intense training and he still wasn't really any good, of it, good at it. And so, so it's impressive that he eventually did get it. And I think he really did get it in quite a big way. Like he's... His mannerisms, he did feel like quite a, like a, felt like a monster. He felt like a monster. He's yeah. a fucking badass, isn't he? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so he, he, they really got that value out of, fin- out of him finally, which does deserve a, a lot of, you know, a lot of credit to him for for sticking at it, really, and still, and just keep keeping going after all those years. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think he did, in the end, get to a point where he was credible as a main event talent. But when note I had from this uh, this little hype video is that there was a pay-per-view two weeks previously yeah and there's another pay-per-view three weeks after this yeah and I thought that probably explains the opening few matches because they're just having episodes of all I'm calling them PPVs yeah maybe shit house so that match Mark Henry versus Randy Orton for the World Heavyweight Championship is next it is a hell in a cell match and it goes for almost exactly 16 minutes this one ends when Orton goes for a punt to the head, but Henry counters with a world's strongest slam for the pin. Uh, Tom, I really like this match. I thought it was I thought it was done really well. I thought they they played to Mark Henry's strengths. He's not a technical guy. He's not a particularly good wrestler, really. But what he is is a, is a good good guy, good, doing good power moves. And in Randy Orton, who I'm not, I know old man's a big Randy Orton fan. I, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Randy Orton fan, but I think Randy Orton in this match in particular really does well to really highlight the strengths of, of Mark Henry by the fact that Randy Orton is a very good seller, but he's not, he's not an absolute bump machine. So it makes it look a bit realer when he hits his impact moves. They have good, good kind of use of the use of the cell. There's a there's a spot where um Randy Orton do- manages to dodge, but Mark Henry absolutely lobs the steps at him, and he manages to just avoid it. And it looks like a really, really impressive thing, despite the fact that we've seen anyone and their mother can lift up those steps. But the, the the power in which he throws them, and and the the kind of last minute nature of the way that Randy Orton manages to to get out of the way is really is really quite impressive. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was I thought it was fun. I, I thought. Mark Henry is basically kind of stalking Randy Orton through the match. And I remember when we discussed, I think it was Brock Lesnar versus, uh, it was Brock Lesnar versus Jeff Harvey at, um, at one of the older pay-per-views where I kind of said it almost felt a bit like a, a bit like a horror film at times. You know what I mean? In the way that it's like, you know, the same with like uh, Mike Myers or Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger or someone stalks their victims. It, it reminded me, they had similar vibes of that to me. And I thought they told quite a good story. Randy Orton does manage to get some something of a comeback. I like the fact that, 
Mark Henry does kick out of the RKO, adds a little bit of strength to it. I don't always like people kicking out of finishes, but if you're building Mark Henry as a monster heel, then more than one RKO should should be needed to put him down. And I was actually quite impressed with the speed in which Mark Henry got up from the floor when he was being lined up for the punt and hit the hit the world's strongest slam. And I genuinely thought that Randy Orton was going to go flying through the ring at that point. Um, so all in all, I, I genuinely really enjoyed this match. Yeah, I'm the same. Thoroughly enjoyed it. This was really good. Like, Mark Henry just beats him up for probably 10 minutes of it. And so we've had some quiet in the crowd during the uh, opening matches. And there's kind of like a, a hushed quiet where they're a little bit like, oh, he's just killing him here. And then when Orton makes his little comeback, the crowd then come alive. To be honest, I can't add much that Tom hasn't because it's just a very well put together little match that makes Mark Henry look like an absolute boss. Orton, as Tommy said, Orton's a good opponent for him because he doesn't throw himself around for anyone, really. So when Mark Henry does start doing that, it does make it actually mean something. It's not Mark Henry Viscera, but we'll take it. Didn't it. Need, it didn't need to be, did it? No, it didn't. <laughs> he, he, you can't get... You can't recreate that magic. I agree with you both. I think this is a good match. I think that um, it was good to see Orton here. It felt like he felt there was a responsibility on him to do more. Like ordinarily, Mm. I think he is so methodical that it just often bores the tears out of me. But here it felt very much as if he felt a kind of responsibility because because Mark Henry is who he is and hasn't perhaps got that, you know, that pace to his game. Orton stepped up, so he starts off, Orton starts the match really fast, punches, they go out to the ring, he's punching him around the ring. It feels almost, not quite Austin-like, but a bit like that, where Orton's like really trying to set a higher tempo, because he knows Henry's not going to be able to do it. Then as the match goes on, Randy Orton hits a lovely drop kick at one point, really, really good. Um, and I just thought, yeah, he's, he's really trying to bring that side of the match, because ordinarily he'd rely on someone else to do it. And here he can. He's against Mark Henry. And Henry, for his part, does what he was supposed to do. You know, he's he looks strong, looks dominant. And I like the fact that he kicked out the RKO because they go into this match saying the RKO, Orton says himself, that's what will stop Mark Henry. Well, now he's found out it won't. So now he's got to try and find another way if they go to a rematch. And if they don't, you've really set Mark Henry up as a monster going forward. So, yeah, really liked it. And it was easily the best match we've seen so far, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Very good. And um, not something that if you'd have asked me in 2005, I thought I'd have ever said about a Mark Henry match. I really liked the bit at the end as well, where uh, Orton basically tries to attack, well, attacks Henry with the chair, a little chair in there in that back and you just get a bloody truck on it or a bloody table or something. But what I like about it, so we covered the bash 2009 and at the end of that, Triple H has got the time machine and he gets the little <laughs> sledgehammer out. I thought about the and, time machine during this segment, actually. Yeah, and he um, stands over Orton at the end, having lost the match, but he's happy. Now, there's a little bit of story there. But what I like is how pissed off Orton is. He's really pissed off that he's lost this match. Doesn't play to the crowd. And that's the way it bloody should be. Go on, Orton. Well, obviously, after Henry's earlier comments before, the, well, in the video package where he says he's going to end Orton's career, Henry grabs the steel chair after the match, looking mm. to do just that. And then Orton manages to um, stave off the attack, grab the chair himself, hit Henry with it, and Henry runs off. So they kind of took the shine off a little bit of the monster mm. kind of thing they'd given Henry by this point. But he got the clean victory. It was a good match. Can't really argue with it. 
it's just impressive seeing him run, to be honest, because he gets a right little <laughs> yeah, a little skip on. I remember one of the funny things I ever saw was I think it was at Christmas one time, and uh, watching my uh, my gramps, God rest his soul, run to the car in the rain. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen because I'd never seen him move that fast before. And, he, <laughs> and as he ran, he had his hands in his pockets. <laughs> Go on, rest in peace, Ben. What a lad. <laughs> So uh, one more thing before we go for a break, I think we'll just take this next segment. It's Josh Matthews interviewing Alberto Del Rio. Uh, Del Rio complains that it's not fair that he hasn't received his rematch for the WWE title, having previously won it via cashing in his money in the bank on CM Punk, then losing it to John Cena later on. He also says that he shouldn't be put in a hell in a cell because he's not an animal, but he says he will win the WWE title tonight. So he says, I'm not an animal. But when animals are cornered, they attack. I'm like, who's the animal? Jesus, <laughs> hang on, you've confused yourself here. And also, you're getting your title shot tonight, you dumb cunt. What are you moaning about? If he said, if he moans about not getting a singles title match, mm. that's fair enough. A second language and all, you know. And, and yeah. to be honest, I am paraphrasing. So he may very well have said that. And, I just summarised. And to be fair, he's probably too busy thinking about being abusive to women. So yeah, he's busy, wasn't he? Let's take a little break right there. Um, we'll be back in just a second where we'll cover the rest of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me now, Alberto Del Rio. And Alberto, you've been very vocal these past couple of weeks about just how unhappy you are that you haven't received your one-on-one obligatory rematch for the WWE Championship. And to make matters worse, tonight's triple threat match is inside Hell in a Cell. First of all, this is not fair, because I can beat John Cena. And besides, I shouldn't be in this match, this brutal, barbaric match. I'm not an animal. I'm not a criminal. But I'm going to tell you this. When an animal is trapped, that's when he becomes more dangerous, more vicious. Must peligroso. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. So I'm warning John Cena and CM Punk. Tonight, you will see a side of Alberto Del Rio you didn't know that exist. Tonight, I'm coming back from hell with the WWE title. So welcome back. And next up, we have got a little segment. So to your point, old man, I think we are very much in the kind of almost extended version of Raw uh, mindset here because Cody Rhodes comes to the ring. He's accompanied by a couple of guys. I don't know who they were, but they were there with him. I, I, I think it was Bob and Cyril. Right. So Bob and Cyril come down to the ring with him. Cody Rhodes says that there are many people trying to hide their hideous features in the crowd and at home. He says that um, they refuse a paper bag and they should be figuratively euthanized. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what figuratively euthanized means at all in this context. No, this was all for it. There's one saving grace. Let's be honest. He then dumps the IC belt in a brown paper bag before unveiling a new title belt from the velvet bag, which is the classic IC title with a white leather strap. He nearly gets a face turn as a consequence of this introduction of the old belt. He then name checks some former champions, including Tom's favourite, Ricky Steamboat, but says he will hold it with more dignity than any of them. He says he will defend the IC belt against all comers whenever and wherever um, they wish. At which point, John Laurinaitis comes out. He then tells Cody that Triple H has told him 
to let Cody know he will defend the title right now against, and then John Morrison. This bit, I'm really confused, right? So Cody Rhodes is presumably a heel. So he then brings back a belt, which is universally beloved by everyone, who then gets interrupted by John Laurinaitis, who is a lackey for Triple H, who I'm assuming is also a heel, and sets him up for a match against John Morrison, who at this point is presumably a babyface. And then the commentary during the entire match is Michael Cole having a go at Triple H for constantly punishing Cody Rhodes for speaking out about him. So what I the think, fuck is going on? So I think the thing you've got wrong is that Triple H is not a heel. Triple H is supposed to be a babyface at this point. Mm-hmm. But John Laurinaitis is a heel. And this goes back to all the stuff that Punk was saying in the summer about John Laurinaitis was Triple H's lackey and he's the guy who fires everybody and tells, you know, John Laurinaitis fires everybody and tells everybody that they're released but why then are you aligning a baby face with a heel in that manner it makes no sense because of what i think the story they're trying to tell and i don't want to get too much into what else we see and what happens after this event but the idea i think is that john laurinaitis is scheming to become (gasps) the new controller of raw and smackdown or just raw potentially i don't know johnny ace i completely agree with what tom's just said because at no point during this promo bit, does Cody Rhodes slag off Triple H? If he had, I'd have been like, cool, absolutely fine. But we don't know that. Like you said, Tinky, like, we need some recap. And we get the recap again during this match, which mm. they have could have just done with a couple of words before. And well, there's some also there's some explanation after the match, which is given by Triple H that we'll get to. And that might tidy some things up a little bit. Um, Maybe not, but it might do. In terms of the match. Do you want uh, to tell everyone what happened? I can't remember. (laughs) So the match between Cody Rhodes and John Morrison is for the Intercontinental Championship. It's a seven-minute match, and it ends when Cody pins Morrison out of nowhere with a roll-through after Morrison misses a springboard dropkick. Tom? You can just cut and paste the audio from the Christian and Sheamus match and pop that in there if you wanted to. (laughs) Hang on, I'll I'll do that now. I just, uh, again, I don't don't care. I don't, you know, I'm going to put a set. I've seen one match of Cody, I think in AEW. I don't think he's very good. I could be completely wrong, but I've never seen anything from Cody Rhodes impress me. The only time I ever really liked him was when he was Stardust. And that was because he really went in on it for a while, for a bit anyway. I don't think he's particularly good. He's certainly not particularly good then. John Morrison is fine against the right opponent, but he needs to go against someone or be tagging with someone who's got personality, which is why he works quite well with The Miz. Yeah, it's nothing. A nothing match that I don't really care about. They evidently, we've, we've spoken about this before, about booking on the fly, you know, about about them not about having specially announced matches that weren't to ha- that weren't to happen before. It's obviously something they were like, do you know what? We need to fill some time. We we're co- we want to bring back the old belt. Let's get Kofi out there. Get Kofi. Let's get Cody out there to to do it. And they can have a match against Morrison, and that'll kill eight minutes of the pay per view. And that's it. And that's how it feels. Well, before I throw it to you, old man, I want to kind of go back to your thoughts about Cody Rhodes there, Tom, because I will put it to you that is it potentially that Cody Rhodes is this generation's Jeff Jarrett? So Jeff Jarrett, and as I said, I've been quite negative about Jeff Jarrett in the past. Jeff Jarrett has had a career that is not arguably, it definitely is, seems to be more important than he should ever have been, simply because he had his own promotion, effectively, with TNA. He himself was the son of a 
very famous promoter, Jerry Jarrett, in Memphis, who a massive territory Memphis was, and has had, he's a decent wrestler, but he's not main event worthy. I just put it to you that Cody Rhodes is exactly the same 20 years later. He's basically son of famous Dusty Rhodes, another promoter of, you know, many, many years and and head of creative in a number of places, who has now gone on to be one of the main players in AEW because he is the one of the vice presidents or the presidents of the company. And, and he books himself to be important, just like Jarrett did when TNA was around. That's it. Like, he's all right. But he's not a main event talent. No, and I just I think that is. I think there's there's a couple of cool things. Again, I've, I haven't seen any of his New Japan or, or Ring of Honor stuff or anything like that. So I am I'm coming at this only from a distance. I think he's very good as well, even when he's not booking himself. I think he's very good at making himself seem more important than he is as well. I think like doing the, the American Nightmare stuff, like that people are going to have a bit of a nostalgic feel and, and an affinity with him because he's the son of Dusty Rhodes. So by doing the things like the American Nightmare and joining up with a Bullet Club and stuff like that is is quite smart, smartly done. But yeah, in terms of in-ring talent and in terms of his microphone ability, he's never particularly done anything for me. Well, interesting you should say about he's quite clever going into the Bullet Club. There is one person who has temporarily been a member of the Bullet Club and been a member of the NWO. It's Jeff Jarrett. It's Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> so uh, again, the parallels are there. Ain't I great? Um, I this is fine. This is a fine little scrap, just ruined by the commentary. Just pathetic, pathetic commentary. Cole being annoyed talking about Triple H's tyrannical reign, of which we know nothing about, and how he's been unfair to Rhodes. Don't care. I do like that Michael Cole calls Booker T a goof for suggesting that John Morrison walks around in the uh, trousers that he's wrestling in. I did quite like that, and I did actually have some sympathy for Cody Rhodes wrestling in dress shoes because that must be bloody tough. When I when I've had a couple of drinks on a dance floor, I had trouble walking in dress shoes, so I can't imagine having a passable seven minute scrap. Um, oh, Johnny Moss does this, and I've seen him do it before. He does this kind of like incredible gets them into like a rock bottom and then flips backwards spanish and he fly. did that standing spanish fly yeah and it's absolutely incredible i just can't get my head around it this is a man who struggles to like walk in a straight line so i'm never going to really understand it but fantastic stuff because like i said absolutely fine ruined by the commentary i just wanted to give jr a hug during this and just be like jim it's gonna be all right son it's gonna be all right Yes, I did fail to mention that um, Cody comes down in a suit, doesn't have his ring gear on, mm-hmm. so that when he starts this match, he is still in his suit. And he does end the match still with trousers on, although he has taken his shirt off by the end of the match. Mm-hmm. And he's also still wearing his protective face mask, yeah. which I can't remember much about or why he had it, to be honest, these days. He, I think he broke they, his nose or his cheek or something. They say that, I think it might be half truth who... <gasps> breaks his nose or something like that. Some, something happened. Someone broke his nose. <laughs> well, that was great. Thanks for that. That was uh, very enlightening. They they say who it is, but I, I, I couldn't be bothered to retain that information. Fair enough. So, yeah, I think this is okay, but it, it's, it's just what I said about Cody. It's fine, but it's just not... It doesn't say to me, this guy is a future main event guy and they need to push him to the hill. And I guess similar to Christian, I'm like, were WWF right about Cody? Because I, I feel like they were. Um, yeah. Competent guy, willing to keep him on the roster, but I'm not going to push him above mid-card because he's not there. He's just not at that level. 
So that's uh, how I feel about this match and about Cody Rhodes. Bit crap, Cody Rhodes. That's what I reckon. I've seen a fair few of his matches in uh, in AEW, and like I said, like you've said, Tinky, for the position he's in, clear off me. Get down that bloody early card, and you'll have a lovely old time. Don't worry about it. Well, I said I don't think he's crap. I just he's just not main event. Where you said he's the shittest of all time. You said he's your Ricky the Dragon Steve. (laughs) You called him Cody Chodes. (laughs) In fairness, if I said he was my Ricky my Ricky Steamboat, it still wouldn't be quite as ridiculous as Tom's (laughs) hatred for Ricky Steamboat. (laughs) So um, next up, Triple H is backstage, and as I said, this might provide a little bit of context because he is interrupted by John Laurinaitis, and before John Laurinaitis can tell him. (laughs) Why he's been inter- he's been interrupted? Triple H says, "What are you doing booking Intercontinental Title matches on the fly?" Mm-hmm. So again, clearly the thing with Triple H and Cody isn't about Triple H and Cody. Is John Laurinaitis sowing the seeds of of madness and, and whatever whatever else in the backstage? Laurinaitis then tells Triple H that Miz and r Truth are backstage, and when they get to the area where they were, they find that Truth and Miz have attacked Air Boom, and then they quickly run away and escape. <laughs> so this is the second time we've seen old uh, Arth Tug and the Jizz. <laughs> Got to to remember what, you, what we called them then, and they've attacked Air Boom backstage. What? How did they get backstage? They've been escorted. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. I. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, again, I think all of this is actually is actually um, uh, explained at a later date. It's just we don't know now how they got in the backstage. So do you reckon Hornswoggle let them in? Yes, that's who I think. Let them no, in. Maybe, yeah. Basically, it goes back to John Laurinaitis and his plan. And I oh. think he's the one who's let them in. John, Johnny Ace. Say what? An Ace planner. Well, I think, again, like... Whilst in the context of just watching the show, a lot of this stuff doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I think yeah. overall, in the episodic way that it's intended to be watched, I actually quite like it. The, the, we've yeah. got this thing going on that isn't fully explained on the night. But as I said, you can, even if they don't explicitly explain it later on, you can fill in the gaps yourself because of what takes place after this event. Yeah. It doesn't help us now, but in the context of where it was shown, I don't mind it too much. That's it. That's where it's tough, isn't it? Because you're a professional and you looked up some stuff. I was going to, and then I was like, you know what? Can't be bothered because I'd like to have a little moan about how crap it is. (laughs) That's fine too. That's not a problem. (laughs) So we then get a singles match for the WWE Divas Championship. And this features uh, the champion, Kelly Kelly, against Beth Phoenix. Eve Torres accompanies Kelly Kelly to the ring, whilst Natalia accompanies Beth Phoenix. The match ends after 8 minutes 41 seconds when Phoenix hits the glam slam to win the Divas title. This is after um, Natalia grabs a microphone, taunts Kelly Kelly with uh, over the microphone when she has uh, Beth Phoenix in a submission. Um, and then when uh, Beth Phoenix manages to get out of it. She distracts the referee and Natalia hits her in the head with the microphone. So I garnered a whole new level of respect for Beth Phoenix after watching this match because she manages to pull decent match, all things considered, with Kelly Kelly. I thought it was all right. I, 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 I haven't really got too much to say about this because this is still very much, they're not really giving the women, you know, the, the time. And it's, it's still, look at where it is. It's, it's match seven on the paper, on the paper running order before the main event. They're, they're, it's the piss break before the main event. That was what it was all observed for. But I was surprised that they gave it eight minutes. 
or nearly nine minutes. I was quite impressed. And I thought that the match in itself was was actually all right. I, I thought it was decent. The um the kind of the, the fact that Natalia kind of does the work, like she's a constant menace on the outside, you know, making herself known was pretty good. And yeah, I thought I thought it was all right. I thought it was a perfectly fine, perfectly fine, serviceable match for what it was gonna be. It exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I agree completely with Tommy. Like, oh, Kelly squared, she puts in a heck of a shift here. Like, a really fair fucks to her because she's not, she's obviously not a natural. Well, I think when she was signed, she wasn't particularly a wrestler either. And Beth Phoenix is tremendous. And that glam slam looks absolutely awful. But it's not the most impressive thing about Beth Phoenix because it's time for this week's Tyron Faxton of the Week. In 2019, Beth Phoenix became the first and to date only female wrestler inducted into the George Tragos slash Luthez Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Tyron Faxton of the Week. Back to the match. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know what? I said it was a decent little spot. I enjoyed this. I thought this was better than most of the turd they served up at the start of the card, I must say, by a fair old distance as well. Um, I did not like the bit with Natty on the mic. I didn't get it. And it's obviously a way for her to hit her with the mic in the head to hit K squared. I, I didn't get it. I was just like, come on, she could just elbow her in the head, can't she? It's just a pretty odd, <laughs> just an odd thing to get there. But it didn't take away from the match. And I also thought that the commentators, in spite of everything that's gone before, I thought they treated this with a level of respect that wasn't always the case for females' matches. Females' matches, for female matches at the time. (laughs) But then they did kind of own it at the end. So Beth Phoenix, this is the first time she's won the Divas title. That's a little cry. Lovely. A heartwarming moment. Bit weird, because I think she's the heel. But I'm alright with that. Booker Teach goes, what's she crying for? And it's like, Oh, okay. And then Michael Cole has to explain that she their tears of joy because she's won the title. And that kind of really took away a little bit, not all of it, but they do then also refer to the female wrestlers as moving into the pin-up strong movement. I don't know what that means. Don't really want any part of it, to be honest. <laughs> well, this is this is clearly kind of the first almost attempt at a Divas Revolution, I think, mm. is the idea that you know Beth Phoenix and Natalia are suggesting that the women in WWE can both be strong and sexy all at the same time which I guess is not that different from the previous era that we were talking about old man that you particularly liked what was that called again smart sexy and powerful that's the one <laughs> <laughs> that's the one where Tommy was almost sick because JR referred to something as sexy oh, yeah <laughs> so we then get the video package for the main event which links all the way back to Money in the Bank with CM Punk winning the title and then walking out on the company. It then also sees Del Rio cashing in his Money in the Bank at SummerSlam to defeat Punk for the belt, and then Cena beating Del Rio for the title at Night of Champions. I've got to be honest that this title lineage is also a little bit more complex than we see Mm. even here. So, you know, I think they've kind of tried to brush through the fact that briefly they had two WWE champions at the same time. Anyway, doesn't matter, which leads us to John Cena versus CM Punk versus Alberto Del Rio. Any thoughts on the video package first before we get to the match? Only that the title seems to have passed around like a lighter among smokers outside a pub. (laughs) It seems to have changed hands so many bleeding times. But 
I actually thought it was decent enough. John Cena's got the incredible line, which is, uh, I'll stare Satan dead in the face and shout, is that all you got? Evidently not understanding that Satan's not in the match. (laughs) (laughs) He's obviously, he's worked himself up. He's very angry that Satan's going to be in the match. And then when Del Rio turns up in Punk, he must be like, what are you cunts doing here? So Cena seems to think that uh, Satan's in the match, whilst Alberto Del Rio is very clearly saying that he's not an animal, whilst also saying that animals will react if they're called. Yeah. So there's all kinds of confusion about who's in this match. Yeah, I think that, as we said, there there was a lot of title changes. But I guess if you think about it, WWE were probably quite um, secure in doing so, given that we then had uh, CM Punk's very long title reign that came immediately after this. So I guess they thought, well, we can we can get away with it a bit. So, yes, the match is John Cena versus CM Punk versus Alberto Del Rio. John Cena is the champion going into the match. Uh, It's in a Hell in a Cell as well. And it goes for 24 minutes. Now, the end going to be a little bit of a, a difficult one this one so give me a moment while i find the right place where my notes begin so cena locks in a, an stf to del rio at this point with cm punk down ricardo rodriguez steals the keys to the cell from the referee but cena cuts him off before he gets into the ring and fu's rodriguez del rio then however hits cena with um a lead pipe and uh locks him and then pushes him out of the ring out of the cell sorry and locks him out Del Rio then goes back to Punk and hits a German suplex, uh, then hits an Inziguri um, for a couple of near falls. Punk comes back into it. Cena is revived, but realizes he's he's locked out of the cell. And he's, he, he then tries to get himself into the cell. Punk and Del Rio continue to fight for a while after this point until uh, Punk tries to go for a GTS. But Del Rio hits him again with uh, lead, the lead pipe and gets the pin. So, yes, the match. Old man, what are your thoughts? So they're big enough that this is the first triple threat Hell in a Cell match. And it does kind of feel like it a little. Because, purely because I think um, you get this a lot in Hell in, a, uh, in triple threat matches where someone will be clotheslined and they'll sell it outside the ring for about 45 minutes so that the other lads can have a little scrap. Lovely old job. But there was a lot of this where people were just getting pushed into the cage and then having to sell for an unnecessarily long time it's very run-of-the-mill stuff but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to be honest i quite enjoyed it and i'm like i kind of alluded to at the start like these early 2010 main events were either seen or winning or being screwed and obviously in this one he's a little bit screwed out of it or big match john but we do get the chance to see a lovely little sequence between punk and del rio which made me think you know what i'll have a bit more of that i enjoyed that and that kind of kept it just above average, I think, for this. And they work well together, these lads. They're putting in a heck of a shift. Even Cena's not awful in this. And this is his awful phase. But yeah, I thought that this was all right. A bit tainted by what happens at the end. But we'll get to that. I, I don't really like having myself matches. I kind of realised when I was watching this one. I think especially in this era and then moving on forwards, I think that it's difficult to do anything new in them that hasn't already been done. And I think it's quite hard to add that element of fear and danger to it, especially when you've got other matches of a similar ilk, like the Elimination Chamber, that they also <laughs> kind of they also kind of market it as another evil construction. That's just 
two tons of steel and causes pain and everything like that i and mean the reason the reason i laughed was because i was imagining then that you were just annoyed that you'd had watched an hour of that show <laughs> yeah well it is, was annoying i'm not gonna lie it didn't really do loads for me what i did like was the end though i did i actually quite liked the, the finish to the match the um the the scene again getting locked out of the ring and and then um alberto del rio obviously doesn't but it looks like he absolutely twats punk with the pipe as well to put him yeah down. and i was like do you know what no one should be getting up from that so i did quite like that i got a bit where uh john cena gave a uh gave an fu to ricardo rodriguez <laughs> yeah. outside the ring as well a lovely little bump from him and i quite like just the, the bit that when when john cena gets locked out and del rio kind of locks the uh locks the cell and I guess the king just lobs it somewhere underneath the ring which yeah. I just thought was quite a nice quite a nice touch but overall it, it, it was okay it was okay uh, to, to be honest at this point I, I haven't been in love with this pay-per-view for the entire thing and I wasn't really expecting it to get too much better if I'm being honest because like like you said, old man, it's, it's John Cena in the worst phase of his career, certainly booking wise. And CM Punk, although although I like, I don't think is amazing. And I've never been a huge fan of Del Rio. Del Rio is only all right. And this this kind of just like I said, just carries through to the level of mediocrity that I just don't care for, with the exception of Mark Henry, who obviously can carry anything because he's the world's strongest mayor. I just didn't, yeah, it just didn't really do anything for me. I wasn't particularly up for it. I wasn't particularly excited to start with. And when the match happened, there wasn't anything to really get me going. So we've got another case of where we've got a kind of sliding scale of quality. Mm. Because I thought this was really good. I was really impressed by this. Really enjoyed it. It was kind of standard fare for a triple threat match in terms of, you know, two of them squaring off and then the other one kind of being down. But because they were in the cell and because they used the cell itself and the, the ring steps and chairs and whatnot to subdue people, I, I bought it more here. Uh, and I just really found it engaging watching the whole. I didn't. And not only that, I had no clue who was going to win. I didn't know how this was going to end. I couldn't remember. I, I knew that eventually CM Punk holds the title, but I wasn't sure that he won it here. I was also aware that they had a pay-per-view in three weeks time after this. So they were going to have to figure out something that would keep this going. And yeah, I just I just thought it was a really sound piece of work. I thought they really did well. And I think Cena, contrary to what you said, old man, I think this is a period of Cena's career where he's excellent, but mainly because he's on the opposite side of the ring to CM Punk nearly the whole mm. time. And he and Punk just had a series of just a slew of really good matches. We obviously, at SummerSlam 2012, which we reviewed not long ago, had another triple threat match, which had John Cena and CM Punk in it, and they were up against the big show as well in that one. Yeah. Um, I, that. And I enjoyed that one a lot. I enjoyed this even more. I thought this was even better. And yeah, I, it really engaged me for the whole 24 minutes. And it's a long old match to keep mm. me interested. And to be honest, I was going in thinking, I'm not sure what I'm going to make of this. Not really sure what's going to happen. But it captured me. And I really, yeah, really stayed in it right the way through. So I was, yeah, really, really impressed with this. After the match, then, we've got the cell starts to rise very briefly, which allows Cena to get back into the cell. But then R-Truth and The Miz arrive on the scene and then and the cell then drops back down again. Truth and Miz then beat up Cena, Punk, Del Rio, the refs and the cameramen before superstars come down to the ring and start surrounding the cell trying to get in. We also get police come down as well. Eventually, they get some bolt cutters out and unlock the cell, which when they get in, Miz and Truth immediately uh, give themselves up for arrest. So the police get in there and arrest them. But then Triple H attacks them whilst they are handcuffed and uh, he then needs to be dragged away as he's trying to attack them. 
and the ma- the show goes off the air. I'm looking at your face, old man. There's lots of kind of screwy screwing up your face. It's too much. So I like the Miz. Sorry, cheers and our tag come down. I like that. And obviously we've got um we've got a little bit of a uh, context from you, which is very much appreciated. So I did say it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but now it kind of does. You've got Cena, Del Rio, and Punk, and a ref and some cameramen in there. Pretty much the whole of the roster come down. And that was kind of where I was a little bit like, oh, this is a bit weird. I could kind of understand it, but it didn't really make any sense watching this standalone. So it was like, you've got a heel and Del Rio, Super Cena and Punk in the ring. And they're trying to like save those guys, which I thought was a little bit like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure about this. But I could see why they did it. And I think it does add something. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I think it's quite a good visual of a load of wrestlers just trying to open this thing. Looks a bit pathetic, I must say. It's a little bit like uh, uh, the original Dawn of the Dead, where there's just a load of zombies outside a shopping mall and they're just like bashing at the door, just trying to get in. But they're just doing it constantly through the whole film. The bit that I didn't like, and I think you guys will probably know what this is, it's the Triple H attack. Like, you've got the police there and he's just attacking them. And it's like, this is too, this is the bit that was too far for me. What they should have done, I think, especially with the context that you've given, is Triple H should have tried to get at them. Johnny Ace gets in front and he's like, hey, come on, come on, Hunter, don't do it. And then he kind of like moves him back. And then you get Triple H just really angry at the end of the paper. I thought that would have worked great. But I didn't like the attack. And I also really, as much as he is a bit of a bloody scumbag, old Del Rio. Just won a title in a main event against probably the two biggest stars in the company at the time. No one's going to remember that. And I just thought this is probably why it never worked. Also, probably why he won the main event, to be honest. Because they were like, well, we don't want Cena or Punk winning it and taking away from this. Up until the attack by Triple H, enjoyable stuff. But we'll do without that next time, please, Paul. Also, a quick note, how awfully looks with hair. Other yeah. than, yeah, it looks like a real pervert. <laughs> I think... Well, that's you guys with hair, that is, looking like perverts. Because the answer to your question, old man, is uh, what, how is Triple H going to make it all about himself if he's not there? If he's not involved? Mm. You know, that's the thing. I, yeah, I just didn't think it was great. I didn't mind... I quite liked the chaos of the initial jizz and our tug beatdown, especially the first time that a cameraman got hit. I quite enjoyed yes. that because you just see it from the caravan's view and fall over. But then it just got a bit overkill and then it just ended and I thought, oh, that happened. That <laughs> happened. I, I, I thought this was really good. I think to your point, oh man, I do agree that the triple, triple H should not have attacked them. Not for any other reason, but then he should have been arrested too if he was going to do that. Now, I don't know if maybe in the next night of all they did have him arrested, but ultimately should not have done that. It should have. And also I thought it was really clever by Truth and Miz, actually, because they they attacked these guys. They they knew that eventually someone would get into the cell. Um, and so in the minute someone did, they just dropped to their knees, put their hands behind their yeah. back and allowed themselves to be arrested. And I thought this would be great. They, they've outsmarted everybody. They've come down. They've beaten everybody up. The cameraman's been beaten up. There's all this chaos going on. The minute someone's got in, they've just given themselves up. The police will arrest them. No one can get them. And I thought that would be the perfect way going back to what we've talked about many times, compress that spring until you can have a match, mm. maybe even just on Raw, but maybe on the next pay-per-view where they can be, they can get their comeuppance at the hands of Triple H and whoever else, maybe John Cena, CM Punk, whatever. It doesn't matter who, but they can do that. But yeah, they had Triple H attack them. 
straight after they come out of the cage with their hands cuffed and you're like well now you've kind of you've let the heat out of the air you know yeah. like this this you've done really well to build this heat on these guys don't and they and they've shown themselves to be clever and they knew they got exactly what they went out of this now you've attacked them you've just kind of gone, oh well that's that then isn't it that's a shame mm-hmm. that match is now not going to be as good and you know they have the match at the next pay-per-view i believe there's some sort of tag team match but ultimately you are already undercutting the importance and the interest and the intrigue in that match and furthermore, Triple H is supposed to be an executive at this point. It's incredibly yeah. unprofessional of him. Well, that's that's the other thing, though, isn't it? So this is what happens is that later on, I think even Vince comes out in the end and tells Triple H he's no longer the general manager of Raw as a right. consequence of the stuff that's happened. And John Laurinaitis has now been appointed as a new Raw general manager. So I think that's where they're heading anyway. But I just felt like the idea is there's just this general chaos anyway, because you've got these two guys who just keep getting involved and keep, you know, attack, have involved themselves in the main event, have attacked people backstage. You know, Triple H hasn't got control. That's enough of a story. You don't need to add this bit where you've removed yeah. the heat from the, the storyline. But other than that, I enjoyed this a lot. I thought it was really good. I love the chaos. Thought it was really, and I also going back to that opening almost bit of the show where you see them in the crowd. I just like that they had little a little tie in. The whole show had this yeah. kind of little story to it. So I really appreciated that in general. And I said so the thought main event was very good. I thought the, the 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 thing at the end was great. Just a little bit let down by the trip by the Triple H thing. But you know how often do we say that <laughs> let down by the Triple H thing? Typical stuff. Okay, so time to give our overall thoughts. Rating out of 10, MVP, match of the night. Tom, we'll start with you. Okay, so um, overall rating, I'm going to give this a four. I uh, I didn't. I'm going to give it a three, actually. Didn't didn't particularly enjoy it. To be honest, boys, I went into this with a bit of a negative mind. I was, went into a negative nanny. Nelly, which I'm going to try to avoid doing in the future, but it's just not for me. Wrong era, wrong time. It wasn't helped that you watched an hour of the wrong show as well, I imagine. It, exactly, it didn't help. Match of the night is Mark Henry versus Randy Orton, obviously. And my MVP of the night, this is a tough one, because as I said, I, I didn't particularly enjoy the show. I wasn't a huge fan of his contributions to it, but I'm going to give it to... I've got to give it to Jim Ross for putting up with those two cunts all night, I think. There we go. I'm going to give it to JR. Surely, then, JR. surely then we all should have been the MVPs. We had to put up with all three of them. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But as we've said, we can only have one MVP. True. This got considerably better, I think. It's a real rough start. I quite like the opener. I, I'll take that because it. I know what I'm getting. It's a little safe place. Orton Henry is very good. Uh, the ladies match is great stuff. Main events, like I said, standard fare, but not in a bad way. And to your point, Tinky, and I'm glad you said this, it's 24 minutes and mm. I didn't get bored, which mm. I think is probably a testament that I enjoyed it more than I did. So I'm going to give this a six and I'm going to give Orton Henry as the match of the night. Now, the MVP, I think I'm going to give it to the velvet bag that was holding the Intercontinental title. <laughs> <laughs> because... It was lovely, and it did its job perfectly. It covered that little... Well, it wasn't a surprise, because I knew he'd worn it back, but just lovely. Well done, Velvet Bag. <laughs> so you're not not the title itself. You're, you're giving it nope. to the Velvet Bag. No, the Velvet Bag. Amazing. Yeah, I'm going to give this overall a 7 out of 10. I felt like everything on the undercard was either average, in one case just below average, and in one case just above average. So... I'm talking about the Sinkara match. 
bit, bit below average. It, it didn't it didn't bore me, but it, it wasn't great. And the Mark Henry Randy Orton match I thought was just above average. I thought it was a, a a really decent match. But then it had what I thought was an excellent excellent main event. And so I think for me that was a a, a big boost for it. The MVP for me was r truth i i wanted to give it really either to r truth or the miz but i gave it to r truth because the other thing i really appreciated about their act here was that because i remember this was not wasn't far away from the little jimmy stuff that they were doing which was a bit like out there and a bit zany this was really serious they were really serious all the way through and r truth in particular being really serious was kind of a different just way of looking at him they didn't they weren't like stand out in fact they were quite anonymous through their seriousness but as a consequence i really bought the menace that they brought to the whole thing so i'm giving him the mvp because the miz probably has been serious more often than our truth in the past and you uh, imagine that the mvp uh, that the miz will probably get is more likely to get an mvp award somewhere down the line yeah 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 definitely and my match tonight is the main event because i thought it was just it was just really excellent a, a thoroughly good way to end what i thought was an average show up to that point um, and this really took it over that that average. One quick note on the main event, which I completely forgot to mention, is I think it's Del Rio does a backdrop I've seen it onto a chair that's set up. Oh yeah. Oh, it looks awful because mm. he kind of lands on it and then it just crumples in a heap, just like Cena's toilet when he does a deuce. <laughs> it's one of those. It's really early in the match as well. So yeah. it's really, it's not like late in it. It's, yeah, it does look pretty real. Okay, so just the game left today. But before I, um, before we get to that, I'd like to alert you to another recent podcast I was involved in, joining Stephen Gutteridge on his podcast, Mid South Moments. Steve Gutenberg. We spoke about AEW Grand Slam that took place a couple of weeks back, as well as reviewed an episode of Mid-South TV from 1985, which is the purpose of that show. So check that out. Go on, Steve Gutenberg. A good man. <laughs> Okay, so the game, and it's my turn to host this week. And um, as you imagine, I've got Hell in a Cell theme to it. You have. So I'm going to do what I did the other week as well, which is I'm going to give you points for your answers. I'm going to incentivize you to get wrestlers with the most Hell in a Cell appearances. Okay, so basically you just have to name somebody who's been in a Hell in a Cell, but the more appearances that you can get, the more points you will score. Uh, I'm going to start with Tom. Uh, Undertaker. The top answer, 14 points for The Undertaker. He's been in 14 Hell in the Cell matches? Yes. Let's go. Uh, the Police Botherer, Triple H. Second best answer, nine points for Triple H as an answer. Uh, John Cena. Cena, four Hell in the Cell matches. That's, um, that's sixth place. CM Punk. CM Punk. Five Hell in a Cell matches. Ooh, check him out. Score is 18 to 14 in Tom's favour. Uh, Mick Foley. You will be very surprised to hear. He's not in that many. I think <laughs> it's only two I can think of. But he, No, he's in He's in four. You're okay. fine. He's in four. Uh, Edge. Edge. Only one. Only one. That's for only The Undertaker. At SummerSlam, I think. There you go. Uh, Randall Keith. Randall Keith is the third best answer, eight points. And Tom now leads 30 to 15. That's double. <laughs> it uh, is indeed. <laughs> Kurt Angle. Only one for Kurt Angle. I assume that's the Armageddon one. It is. Yeah. Um, I will go with Batista. Batista, two. Still double the points, 32 to 16. 
Rikishi. So someone is going through the participants of the Armageddon <laughs> match. Indeed, one for Rikishi. Uh, the Rock. I did it for the Rock, brother. Yes, yeah, so again, just the one for the Rock. I'm taking. I'm playing tactical. I was taking away one of old man's. <laughs> uh, Seth freaking Rollins. Indeed, three Hell in a Cell matches for Seth Rollins. Uh, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is the fifth best answer with five points are now 38 to 20 Raymond Wyatt two for him uh Dean Ambrose Dean Ambrose yes one is this um just men male participants no it's not uh Shane O'Mac Shane McMahon yes three appearances it's way too many yeah that's mad in there um Sasha Banks Sasha Banks three Bailey. Bailey, two. Charlotte. Yes, one. Stone Bold Steve Austin. Two matches for Steve Austin. Um, Kane. Kane's at three. So only one in the top ten you've got left to get. Shawn Michaels. And that is the man. 46 to 33 as we stand at the moment. Uh, how many was Shawn Michaels? Uh, four, Shawn Michaels was. Uh, Big Show? Um, yes, one. Really? Blimey. There are Mark, go on, sorry. Mark Henry. Mark Henry. Just the one. Oh Mark Henry. Um Alberto Dario. <laughs> yes, he's got two. There are just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven who've got more than one match now. Kevin Nash. Just the one. Yes. <laughs> um Kofi Kingston. So do you know why I was thinking that? It's because there's definitely footage of him getting his face mashed into something, but I think it might be a chamber of elimination. He's having a bloody nightmare of elimination chambers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no so, what if, so, so if I, I, I like first... the old man catches me up, or no, that's just your first uh, life. You get three yeah. lives. Okay. Um. Oh, which one? Jay Uso. Indeed. Two. Bold the tension. It is pretty tense. I like this format. Uh, Daniel Bryan? Yes, one. The cold one himself, Seamus. <laughs> the great white. One for Seamus. Becky Lynch. One for Becky Lynch. Doing cracking, lads. You've got 30 of 51 so far. AJ Styles. No. Oh. No AJ Styles, I'm afraid. So that's one life down for you, old man. Um... Kevin Owens. Yes, who? It's, it's going to take quite a lot now for Old Man to win, I think. It's still mm. doable, but it's going to take a lot. Uh, mm, Finn Balor. <laughs> you kind of almost backed out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Finn, oh, Finn Balor. Uh, yeah, afraid not. No Finn Balor. Yeah, didn't think so. Chris Jericho. Oh, always Jezza. Always does a yes one for Chris Jericho. Jeff Hardy, Harvey. Yes, one for him. Braun Strowman. One for Braun Strowman. Oh, that was oh, that was next. <laughs> Alexa Bliss. Afraid not. Nah. No Alexa Bliss. Well done, Tommy. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know if you want to, you know, try try any more, Tom. Uh, I'll, keep going. I'll go with um, Rob Van Dam. No Rob Van Dam. I got one left, haven't I? Yeah. 
Uh, I will go with Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar, too. Bloody heck. And the last one, I will go with my, my last, because it's going to be my last one, and it's going to be either amazing or an absolutely dreadful <laughs> shout. I am going to go with Scott Steiner. <laughs> he loves to say Scott Steiner. <laughs> uh, no, no Scott Steiner. He's, I do think they are, but it's DDP in there. Uh, As a tag no. match, you're thinking, mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's not. Um so I'll give you the rest. There's there's one weird one, and I don't know, probably recent, so I don't know it. But anyway, first of all, Ted DiBiase Jr., I assume this is, not uh, just Ted DiBiase. Um, Rusev, Ray Mysterio, Paul Heyman, mm. um, Vince McMahon, Jimmy Uso, just the one there for Jimmy, yeah. um, Jack Swagger, Dolph Ziggler, Cody Rhodes, oh mid card Cody. Um <laughs> Biggie, Big Boss Man, is Undertaker. Oh, of course. Bianca Belair. This is the weird one because you've got two appearances. Xavier Woods. Yes, he got absolutely annihilated in a Hell in a Cell. On, on SmackDown like, or Raw or something. Yeah. yeah. And then they were in a tag match. Then we've got Yuzu's. Ryback with two, Drew McIntyre with two, and Bobby Lashley with two. So Tom wins fifty-seven to thirty-nine. Oh, that's a massacre, isn't it? Hey, <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> but it wasn't you, double. No, I'm struggling a bit with these. Like we said last week, we need to up our game. I feel like I'm feel like I've lost a step. Well, in fairness, if we were doing the traditional game, there you only had sixteen of fifty-one to get, so you did very well in that one. In fairness, yeah. So, and also, I think Tom might have got one wrong first, so I'm the real winner. <laughs> That's the real game, as they say. Mm. Right then, that brings us bang up to date with everything we need to cover today. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. Don't don't remember my poor performance in the game. Congratulations to Tommy. Just remember Ken Patera. And old man also needs to remember the, the previous outros he's done, because I think that's the second time in about two or three weeks that he said that exact those exact words at the end of the podcast. And Tom, thank you for your contributions too. Thank you very much. And I'd like to thank, um, you know, God, a.k.a. Shawn Michaels' tag team partner for uh, for his, uh, his, his help in guiding me through that those, those troubled waters when it came to the game and giving me the win. And thank you, listeners, for joining us and staying with us all the way this far into the show. We'll be back again next week. But until then, take care. <laughs>